everybody. This is The Straight Dope, episode 47. I have been speaking a lot with subscribers and RifleGraph users, as well as other shooters, and I could see that the interview with Morgan was popular. I have other interviews uh, recorded, and I just need to kind of cut through them to make them a little bit shorter. Some of them are four or five hours, and uh, we'll, get, we'll get some of that stuff included, but it's hard to pick the right person, and it's hard to talk to the right person, and so um, I need to figure out you know, the best strategy to have talks and actually accomplish the goals that, that I have for the podcast, as well as provide the listeners, you guys, with stuff that I think will allow you to grow. Because I think there's tons of podcasts now you can listen to, and, and they have their own niche and style. And some of that, I think, belongs on their podcasts. And I want to try to keep the theme of this and, and the style kind of unique so that we're not overlapping and, and just always doing the same kind of stuff. So bear with me. Um, and along those lines of bear with me, uh, I appreciate and love the fact that people are supporting the podcast and subscribing to Riflecraft. So I want to address that really quick because, uh, you know, there, ha- there definitely have been people that said, well, you know, they're, they're, they're underwhelmed by the, the website. And so I'm trying to put out more information on how I use it and how it was intended to be used. But, but keep in mind, like this is, a a work in progress, right? You've, you've kind of, uh, may have heard, you know, the idea of, of, um, you know, building a ship while you're sailing it or flying an airplane, uh, building it while you're flying or maintaining it. And this site and, and whole project in itself is a, is a work in progress. And so we're always adding elements and trying to learn how to build because the website was built, you know, coded from the ground up. There's no plug and play, uh, components to that website. So, like we're learning how to code it, we're learning how to build it, and troubleshooting problems that come up as people identify and say, "Hey, look, you know, I want to see this element tracked and this element tracked." Some of which is there, but you kind of have to dig around to find. But we're trying to make that user experience better every single day, and it helps with subscribers because uh, you know you're helping get the programmers that can do the programming you know, and, and, and code that stuff. So, so it's really, it's, it's fun to see that grow. So I'm, I'm trying to come up with ways to complement and provide the subscribers with more stuff. And one of those is an email that I sent out this week with a special target and a special idea. And the idea I'm going to talk about today on the podcast, but for those of you who are self-motivated, self-starters, and just like to listen to this for training ideas, you know, I like, I like being able to provide that context to anybody. You don't have to be a subscriber, but I'm definitely going to try to spoon feed some of these things to subscribers because, uh, you know, they're, they're making this kind of stuff happen. Now, pretty soon the website's going to get another upgrade and we're going to have a lot more tracking features where hopefully we'll be able to cross compare different, um, uh, whatchamacallit, different profiles because, you could set up a profile for a specific type of test and, and track that progress of that specific test. Rather, you could have the same rifle system and say, okay, I'm doing this craft target and these drills. Over time, I want to track them separately from another drill. So you could just make a profile for, uh, for, for instance, today I'm going to talk about a visual test. You could track your progress and growth in isolation, and then you could compare that to other tests. So I think that'll be pretty cool. And, and some other some other neat stuff. Pretty soon, we're also going to be able to allow for uh, taking a picture with your cell phone and having that populate your uh, your your profile rather than having to drag and drop the bullet marks. You may have to tweak it a little bit, but uh, it's it's pretty close to being ready to go. And we're just trying to work out some kinks and some bugs, as well as deal with a couple things that 
were revealed to us that some users could see certain parts and some users couldn't. Let me remind you that if you are a subscriber and you see that articles, those articles are suggested based on the trends of your particular targets. And so uh, rather than thinking, okay, I thought they were generic, general things, and sometimes people like the too long didn't read or they assume, well, I don't need that because I know how to shoot. That's stuff that suggested ways to improve the flaws that you have in your targetry. So it'll be different from one shooter to the next. And I'm going to talk about training a little bit today based on some conversations that I've had recently offline with Morgan and with George Ortiz from, from California, both of which were the same idea and something that, that I hear shooters talk about in isolation. And the, the bigger conversation comes back to a theme that I've seen in other disciplines. And I, and I just want to talk about that. So uh, if you if you like this and you like and you want to support this growth and you also want to get additional features and see what we're developing as we develop it to allow metrics and stuff, please go to riflecraft.com and subscribe. The other thing that we're doing is that Frank Galley and I are developing, have developed, and are starting to run the unconventional skills assessment, which essentially it's a it's almost like a competition course of fire, and we record those analytics and metrics to get very, very detailed for specific metrics on individual shooters. And so those are being run now here out of Colorado, and we're able to take very specific data about your particular skill sets and, and then fine-tune a training program for you in isolation rather than a generic kind of one-size-fits-all because we know in almost every discipline – one size fits all only works for the very beginners. And then after you get through a certain phase of growth as a beginner, for example, let's say you start an exercise program. It doesn't matter what you do. As long as you exercise, you'll get more fit, you'll lose weight, you'll get more energy and so on and so forth. You could do anything, right? You could, I mean, who the hell knows? There's billions of things. And so um, it's been proven scientifically that all you have to do is move. And it's, and it's about moving for a certain while, and, and you'll see gains in every aspect. And I think that's one of the cool things that, that we've learned in the last couple of decades is that, that you know, we do good when we move, but then when it comes to specificity and improving in sport, then you have to isolate out and measure certain skills that are focused towards a particular goal. That's what we're doing with the unconventional skills assessment and the private coaching. And that's what I'm going to talk to you a little bit about today. So let's get started. The idea is, and, and it gets overplayed and overstated a lot, but, but I think that there's always something to it. If you do the same thing and you expect a different result, right, you're just dreaming. And I want you to take a, a you know, and, I, and I'm speaking to myself here too, because this absolutely applies to me. If, if you haven't seen growth, but you're training and you're doing all sorts of stuff, whatever the discipline is, uh, it's probably because you're doing the same thing and doing that same thing allows you to tread water, but you're not actually ever going to get better if you do the same thing. And oftentimes that leads to going harder, doing the same thing, but more of the same thing. And usually what happens with that is that you get burnt out and you still don't grow. So how do you actually improve in anything? Well, it's, it's been long understood that you know, physiologically, if you isolate movements and movement patterns, you can develop skills and strength in those particular movement patterns. And what I've been exploring more recently, rather than just developing strength and speed, but it's the neurological adaptation to to things like um, that 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 layer in strength, but also strength and skill. And so, uh, you know, if you, I think now recently, you know, it becomes more and more popular. But you see, like the I don't do Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, but friends that I respect and appreciate. 
you know, often talk about the strength gains, the cardio gains, the, you know, but more importantly, it's a skill that you gain and a feel and a neurological kind of development of skills being applied. And you don't necessarily have to be extra strong to be able to do those. You have to develop the skill sets. And so it's the, and it's similar with climbing. You, you can do a bunch of pull-ups and I'm sure we could find a person that could do a ton of pull-ups, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they'll be able to climb up a rock uh, like somebody that has the skill sets. And oftentimes you can find people with high levels of skill that can't display the same kind of strength uh, metrics that you may attribute to being able to climb stuff because skill layers in so much. And I think that applies to shooting too. So when we talk about doing something, we need to consider what you've been doing and, and then how you've been measuring your progress. And, and I think that this is where the first fork in the road goes. If you've been basically performing the same for an extended period of time, what you're doing isn't allowing for growth. And so continuing to do that is going to basically allow you to tread water. And sometimes sustaining a skill is all that you want to do once you get it up to a certain level, maybe, because you're trying to learn other things. But if you're actually trying to raise the bar, you've got to do something that you're not normally inclined on doing. And for some people, that's simply going out and trying something new. And so um, I hadn't been training at all, and I still haven't been training recently, but I went, I started to go to the local precision rifle one-day matches, and I noticed that I had an improvement of my, you know, week to week assessment simply from doing a once a week, one day competition, because those repetitions were repetitions that I wasn't doing. And they were uh, a type of practice that I don't normally do. And you can measure that. So um, here's something that I want to caution you with. I saw it uh, early on with some of the extreme sports trends of adventure racing, and this was you know, 15, 15 or so years ago, that people were gaining success and they thought, okay, well, you know, if, if I got better in the last three months between that race or this event or that uh, competition, uh, and, and, and you show growth, Rather than just stick with that training program until it started to, pro- they, they, they upped the ante. Like, well, maybe if I train twice as hard, I'll have twice the growth. And while you have motivation and dopamine and it's really exciting and so that you're able to kind of capitalize on that success and you double your training, triple your training, a lot of those athletes uh, got injured or burnt out, whereas the ones that continue to grow month after month, year after year, and are still performing at the high end, they maintained those trajectories until they started to show a slowdown in growth. And then they only added the stimulus that provided the next level of growth and they slowly layer it on. It's this idea of the minimum effective dose. And I think the minimum effective dose is counterintuitive to most people, including myself, because if it's like, if it does something that's good, I want to double it and triple it, quadruple it. Why would I want just the minimum, if I could do double that or triple that, because it feels good um, sometimes. But it's very important, I think, to remember that if you're getting better, what you're doing is working. And it doesn't matter what you hear or read. So keep that in mind. Now, months ago, I was talking with George Ortiz, and, and, and we chat you know, in kind of spurts. We'll, we'll chat, chat a bunch, and then we won't chat for a while. And he's really into to lifting. And so he was talking about the specificity of when I go in to train something, I go in with a plan in advance and I isolate that and train it. And so with shooting, you might think, okay, well, today I'm going to go in and I'm going to work kneeling and I'm going to work all my kneeling positions. And I'm going to, and and then somebody else might, uh, he's like, then I might work on wind calls and, and, and being able to map out, you know, I'm going to work this skill and this skill and this skill on different days. 
And then for competition, combine those skills. But to train them in isolation is important. And I think that that's probably true. And I almost had an identical conversation recently uh, uh, with Morgan uh, King again in that, that he trains elements of competition in isolation. Now, Morgan is focused exclusively on competition, and so it's a little bit different than some other people. George trains uh, people to shoot and and uh, does a, a bunch of different types of shooting, but they're doing the same thing. They're isolating specific skill sets and training those and not everything all at once. You know, today is going to be this skill day so that it's isolated and that your body can absorb, your nervous system can absorb those particular skills without confusing it with other ones. And that, that's where I got excited to talk about this. And I, and I got excited to come up with additional training uh, for, the, for the subscribers and then talk about it on here because I think, you know, if you come up with your own version, awesome. The idea of specificity is it, it's common. And you hear about it, and um, I think it's, it, it, it's interesting but I think so much of shooting is neurological. I think it's, it's visual, and I think it's how our brains process information and not just the mechanics of actually doing stuff. Now, that might sound weird because Riflecraft is all about fundamental mechanics and standing, seating, standing, seating, kneeling prone, so that you're multi-positional, able to apply the kind of same forces to get your point of impact in the same area. But I think in the same boat, thinking about other skills and training those on non uh, technical days will allow you to capitalize on you know how your body develops skill and how you grow um, in other areas. And what I mean by that is when I talk to good shooters about all of the things that they do, it always comes back to what they're seeing. And I know I talked about this before and 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 it's been mentioned more than once uh, on this podcast. But the idea of being able to see and process the information uh, is a recurring theme in any conversation about shooting. Now, I want to point out here first that if, if, if all of us line up and, and look at a landscape, our, we're basic, you know, my hunch is that we all, our eyes all take in the same information, right? We're, we're actually seeing all the same information. Light's coming, it's bouncing off those objects, and that light is sending a uh, you know, signal to our eyes. Our eyes are sending the nerve uh, response to our brains. But then something else happens. Right. What happens is, um, you know, we, we all see everything, every little thing, but we don't necessarily notice uh, cognitively what we see. And so what you know, if we look at a landscape, I might be focusing on a rock because I like looking at rocks and you might be looking at a pretty flower or a tree or you might be looking at a deer or an antelope. Or, or something else. Even though we're all seeing the same thing, we're not necessarily aware of the stuff that we're seeing. And so training our brains to be able to recognize the things that are important, it takes practice and it takes isolation. So for example, you know, if, if police or if, if um, people are learning to, to, you know, keep in memory, looking for particular objects or looking for cues or signs, it, it, you have to practice looking for those visual cues and then being aware of the fact that you actually saw them and then you can go through your observe, orient, decide, act kind of OODA loop. And I thought it would be really cool to see in specificity, you know, what we're trying to do. Now, now this is um, the targets that I designed were, you know, related to craft targets with other colored targets. But the idea, it's not simply a gimmick of, you know, you're going to look at these colors. Because what you're doing is you're observing 
right? You, you, you mechanically go through, you shoot a shot, and then you're observing a target of a specific color. You're recognizing that that's the color that you're looking for. You're engaging that, but then there's more than one. And so then you also need to continue to observe, continue to engage. And then there's a process where you go back to the original target and you shoot that original target. Now, that might seem very simplistic, but I think neurologically a lot is happening because first you're identifying what you're looking for amongst, you know, it's almost like where's Waldo? If you put a giant poster of where's Waldo and said, okay, I'm going to give you, you know, we're going to see who can find Waldo and engage Waldo the terrorist the fastest in this giant poster board. It's going to take you a while to observe and shoot it. But what if I said there's 12 Waldos and you need to engage all those 12 Waldos? Well, your, your eye's ability to see him isn't in question. It's your brain's ability to take that visual stimulus and process what you're seeing and say, okay, there's the things that I'm looking for. I need to engage that in particular. And developing those patterns and responses in isolation is, I think, going to speed up the processing speed of what we're doing in competition. Now, you might not be saying, okay, I'm looking for the yellow targets or the green targets or the blue targets, but what you are doing is you're, you're taking those pathways of recognizing something, acknowledging that it's that something, and executing the process that you intend on doing, right, decisively on those particular things. And I think repeating that pathway allows your brain to make those decisions faster and smoother. And you don't even necessarily have, you could do it with dry fire, I think, by, by recognizing an object and then doing something like tapping the target, recognizing the next one, tapping it, but keeping a record of how long does it take you to do that and can you maintain standards of accuracy. And so I think that's why in the email that I sent out to the subscribers, it was, it was making sure that you know, you're not just trying to haul ass through it, but you're, you're trying to go fast enough where you're thinking through and then tracking the speed and accuracy of the you know, initial engaged target right, a reference target, and your, your accuracy standards that you're maintaining. But I think rather than feeling like you're rushed, what's going to happen is you're not going to feel rushed, but you'll be finishing it faster the more time that you take through there. And in doing that, you're teaching your eyes to see what you're trying to look for. So then after maybe three, four, five uh, practice sessions, I think that you'll be able to say, okay, now what I'm going to look for is a coyote, or now what I'm going to look for is leaves moving so that I can get a better wind reading um, call while I'm shooting because now neurologically my eye under my brain understands that this cue for my eyes is looking for more than just a target. It's looking for other things. And being able to layer in and actually see the stuff, uh, not see the stuff, but understand the, the crucial elements that you're looking for is something that higher level shooters are doing. And I think we need to do that in isolation. I think some haters might critique this and say, you know, well, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to layer in all this junk. And I think that that is one of the biggest mistakes that I see most shooters doing. And I think that that's a reason why there's so many mid pack shooters and so few good shooters. It's not for, it's not because information is not out there. It's we have too much information. And with too much information, you're trying to do everything. And in doing everything, nothing gets done. And not only that, just like with some exercise trends, you can actually physiologically negate the training that you've done 
by doing some other things, like like with the ice bath stuff that people are doing. If you're, if you're doing a strength workout, depending on when you do that ice bath, you can completely physiologically shut off the mechanisms that will cause strength adaptations. But it's cool. You see it on Instagram. Yeah, it can do cool stuff. But if you do it wrong, you're, you're, you're gaining nothing at all from doing that that you think you're doing. And so I think with shooting, a lot of people are doing all this stuff and having no growth. I think that some of us need to think about specifically what you're training and do that in isolation for a little while, three, four, five sessions maybe. Now, if you're, if you're training up for a competition, you don't want to isolate something for three, four, five, six sessions. You're going to need to you know, kind of combine and tune things towards that competition. But if you're already competing at a high level, in between, you, you're probably isolating skills anyway. And most of the people that I talk to that you know, are top 10 shooters, they do this already. You just don't uh, hear what they're saying when they say you know, they're going to do something in isolation. They're going to do, you know, they, they might take the, okay, last, the last competition I had, you know, I'm, I, this, I noticed that this was weak. So, they, so Tuesday and Thursday, they might practice that before they go to another competition the next weekend because they're competing every single weekend. They isolate that skill between the last competition and the next. Now, most of us don't do a competition every weekend um, it would be awesome if I could afford to do that, but there's no way I could afford to compete that much. On the other hand, we can be training these things in isolation. If you don't, if you, I mean, if you think it's garbage, then I need you to be able to show me how you're at the top of the game doing your method, because I know for sure at least 50% of, you know, maybe the top 20 in the country are doing this exact thing. But they're doing it unique for the skill sets that they're isolating. I want to do an experiment with the visual cue, and that's why I ask the subscribers to think about and do this stuff in isolation because I think cognitively there's a lot to be gained from shooting. Like most of us shoot pretty good. What's separating the good shooters from the mid-pack isn't necessarily your shooting skills. I think it's the cognitive skills that get layered on. You know, How are you going to approach a stage and get 90% impacts? or 95% impacts, because that's the standard that they're performing at. In order to get 90% impacts, as you may, may remember from talking to Morgan, the difference between your, you know, if, if, if it's a 10-round stage, he's assuming that any good shooter is going to get a 9. The difference is who gets the first-round shot on that first target of the first stage. Now, most of us aren't getting 9 out of 10 on every single stage, but that's the bar that he set. And he's saying that a good shooter is going to have more than 90% because they're able, you know, in that first shot of the 10 is, you know, being able to take all your skill sets and make a good first round impact. But after that, you have the information that you need. You should be able to process everything from there and run at a 90%. You know, I think that for us, that's a good goal to aim for is, you know, separate that first round shot for information and then process that information and use it and apply it correctively correctly on the remaining targets if we can cognitively process things and learn how to speed up that cognition that should actually be an attainable goal considering how competitions are laid out right now with the level of of target size distance and the performance of our equipment it's actually i think pretty true in in what morgan is saying is that cognitively we should be performing around that 90%. And that's where he kind of separates, you know, good from people that haven't quite got there yet. And so 
Um, I mean, of course, that's my interpretation of it, but that specificity, I think, comes back to being able to say, okay, look, this is where I'm at, and, I, and, and maybe I haven't got better for a couple months, or maybe I have. What have I been doing to get better, and how am I going to measure when that plateaus out? Now, what are the skills that I'm going to isolate, and how am I going to do that? You know, now, I could, I could train, if I wanted to, a couple days a week at a local range on paper, and I could probably think about stuff you know, most days, and, and so how am I going to extract that and do that in isolation, measure it, and then, you know, I think that doing it and recording it on a website like Riflecraft is really easy. You make a profile for it. You say, okay, here's this skill set that I'm going to be monitoring, and I'm going to, I'm going to record my progress in terms of time and, uh, and, and, and accuracy and, and build accordingly. I think that that's a good way to utilize something that, that keeps a record of training progress in those subtle skills that um, are, are very challenging and difficult to measure growth from. And it's not just spending, you know, hundreds and hundreds of rounds on a range repeating something that may or may not be uh, working for you. Because, I, I, you know, again, I think that if, 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 you have, if you've plateaued and you're not really getting better and you decide, okay, I'm going to shoot, you know, like some good shooters are shooting 100, 200 rounds a week at a range. Well, if, if that's not helping you, those motor repetitions are not only probably developing and reinforcing where you are and preventing growth, but to unwire skills, right, takes triple the work. And so now you're going to have to have triple the repetition to unwire those skills that you've laid down so hard, fixing you to kind of where your performance level is. And so using a metric of your own personal growth rather than performance against other people is very, very important because I think that anybody in any sport or activity, you should be able to document improvement at a minimum in a month's time or two months' time. And if you're not, then you need to isolate out the skills and look at ways for you to focus on individual components and, and have those grow. Because if, if you're just the same month after month after month, you're reinforcing the position that you're at at the skill level that you're at. And and, and that's not necessarily where any of us want to go, right? If you're listening to this, I know you want to get better. If you want to get better, I think it's how we think about and approach those training tools. And I think that you know, the way to do that is to isolate a skill set and measure that growth. Then once you have documented growth, then layer it back into a, to a, um, an application kind of mindset. So you say, okay, I'm going to work on this visual cue or this position. And when I can show that that got better, all right, now let's run a stage. Now let's see where the limits are of this new skill that I have quantifiable evidence for. Let's layer it back into the more well-rounded skill set and see if that brings up other skills. And my guess is it will. And it'll reveal new flaws. And you can isolate those new flaws, train that for a certain period of time. Now, if you can train twice a week, I, I imagine it'll be like three weeks. After three weeks, measure it again if you're pl- training twice a week. But I, my guess is that it's probably about you know, four to six training sessions in in three weeks or so, where if you isolate those out, you'll be able to see, you know, that neurological um, growth happening, you know, that that cognitive awareness kind of developing. Um, But I wouldn't expect it to change, you know, immediately from one day to the next. You're not going to go from 80% to 90%, right? But, But you might go up in a measurable percentage over a 
you know, relatively short period of time. And I think three weeks is a relatively short period of time. But remember, you're not trying to grow muscle. You're not trying to grow. You're basically just saying, like, this is what my awareness needs to recognize and pay attention to. It takes repetition and success and curiosity, and it takes specificity. Then you layer it back in. So if you're just going out and shooting, you know, having fun at the range, that's cool. That's fun. It's not, you know, it's, it's basically just making sure that you stay the way that you are. Anyway, uh, I've been rambling on about this for a little bit, but I think that it's important to, to talk about. I think it's important to acknowledge. And, and for myself, it's an area that I've been exploring and continuing to explore. And I want to be able to see and measure and talk with people that are excited about doing those same, you know, specific training uh, uh, elements, because, you know, that's what I see good shooters who are always getting better doing. And it's what I don't see people who are not improving over time is trying to mix in things that they don't normally do. And, 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 and in that respect, it's so blatantly obvious, right? If, if this is the what you do all the time, then if that's all you do, then you're going to stay exactly where you are. And if, you, if you're going to change, you have to do something that's completely out of your normal routine. You layer in those things that are completely out of your normal routine, either because somebody else told you to do it, right? Which is what's cool about a competition is that you go to a course of fire that you didn't come up with and it exposes things. And then if you go back to what you always do all the time, uh, that's just that pattern's going to repeat itself over and over again. Whereas coming up with things that are new and novel that could provide that growth, I think is, is, is very important. And I think it's a, kind of an exciting landscape for people to engage in. And, and hopefully this inspired some ideas for you to come up with ways to develop that processing, visual, and, and cognitive recognition stuff because that is something that in bolt gunning, you know, long-range precision shooting, needs to come up to kind of where some of the more action uh, sport shooting is, uh, you know, they're already kind of performing there. But, the, you know, those people might need, you know, some of the fundamental work that we have, but we kind of need to go back into that cognitive recognition, you know, awareness and comprehension stuff that, that will help us recognize the patterns and visual cues that we're seeing. Did we hit the plate on the right or left? Did it swing right or left? Did it, did the mirage shift left or right or up or down? Is it boiling? What, where'd my impact go? Was there lift? Was there not lift? There's a lot of, where did my reticle land after I recoil managed? What does that mean? Um, those cognitive things that are happening are things that we need to bring to our awareness and think about and record. And, um, and so hopefully out of this, we'll start to see people tracking some of those ideas and sharing them back with me. And I'll share some of the feedback that I get from the subscribers because I mailed out a target and I'm going to give them a certain amount of time to start giving me feedback on, you know, how long did it take? How many sessions did it take for them to notice that there was a decrease in time and a maintenance of accuracy standards, right? I'm not saying... I'm, we're not doing this in order to get more accurate. It's basically saying, like, at your current accuracy, accuracy standards, can you get faster and maintain those accuracy standards with certain number of practice sessions, right? The research suggests that there is a certain number of accurate uh, time and repetition and that speed for a lot of uh, tactile skills and visual skills um, can come down substantially, 
And so I think that applying that towards what we do, it makes sense. It's already been done. It's been proven. You just got to put in some of those reps. But those reps have to be kind of isolated reps thinking about how this is going to work towards your application. So anyway, give it a shot and uh, give me some feedback. If um, if you like the idea and, and, and you're not a subscriber, just uh, email me at chrisrway at gmail.com and let me know what you're doing and how you're doing it, how you've shown that growth. And... Um, and uh, I, would, I would love to hear it. So until next time.